Welcome to the second week of this series we are calling, What If Jesus Is Right? For some of you, that is almost sacrilegious. Of course he's right. He is Jesus. He is God with us. He's my Lord. Now, before you start throwing, start throwing things at me, let me make you just a little bit more upset with me or a little bit more uncomfortable. Let me, let me just challenge us, all of us, me included. Yes, Jesus is Lord. He is King. Jesus is the only way to salvation. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him might not, should not perish, but have what? Eternal life. There it is. We follow Jesus because he is our eternal salvation. But, but here is where I, I want to challenge us in these first few weeks of this new year. If we trust Jesus with our eternal, why don't we trust him with our day-to-day life? But we're willing to trust him with the intangible eternity, but we hold on to the tangible today? We trust God with this idea of eternal life that, that we really don't understand and we can't fully comprehend. We hand that over to him and trust that he will save us from hell. What we miss, and this is the point of this series, is that the same Bible that teaches us to put our faith in Jesus for eternity also teaches us the principles of how to live our lives today to the fullest. Jesus said in John 10.10 that he came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Last week, we laid the groundwork for this series and for the year of biblical literacy, which I'm so excited about. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we have to be faithful to his word. We looked at John 8, 31. It's the verse we closed with last week. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. If you didn't get a chance to, to listen to last week's message, I want, I want to encourage you to go to our website and watch it. See, our faithfulness to Jesus is only possible because he's been faithful to us. And I laid that out in detail last week. Of course, these comments that I, I'm, that I, and the words that I'm using are geared towards those that believe that Jesus died for their sins and that we, have a, that we can have a relationship with God through Jesus. But for those of you that are questioning whether you can trust Jesus with your eternal life, I'm wondering if you might want to take a different approach or have a different perspective on all this. Why don't you apply the principles that we're laying out these next few weeks of the principles of living today to day, trusting Jesus with our day to day. And when you discover that you can trust him with your life here on earth, then you can trust him with your eternity. You guys ready for week two? All right, here we go. Uh, there's uh, Okinawa Island. It, it has more people over the age of 100 than anywhere else in the world. And despite the devastation that the island experienced during World War II, when half of the island's population was killed, it has a longtime nickname from the surrounding neighbors, the Asian neighbors. It's the land of the immortals. Almost sounds like a video game. The, the source of the longevity has been the focus of many studies in the blue zones. 
These are places around the world that have exceptionally high numbers of individuals that live beyond 100 years of age. There are websites dedicated to their lifestyles and the lessons learned from, from all these studies. Health researchers have long searched the Okinawan diet for clues to the fountain of health. Perhaps the key may lay in the, their unique compound uh, in their tea, or maybe it's a certain fruit that they eat. Maybe it's the kind of seaweed that they consume. The thinking is, is that if we can decode the perfect combination of foods from around the world and put, a, put all those vital nutrients in a pill, we could live long, happy, and successful lives. But when the diet of these blue zones is consumed in other locations, the results just have not matched. Could it be that we're looking for answers in the wrong places? In her book, The Rabbit Effect, Kelly Harden put, points out that there once was a city in Pennsylvania that was much like Okinawa. The town is Rosita, I, I believe that's how you pronounce it, in Pennsylvania, Rosita, Pennsylvania. In the 1960s, it had hardly at that time any heart disease, with no one under the age of 55 having a heart attack. And there, there had not been a, any suicides in a decade. For the most part, the people of Rosita were really only dying of old age. This prompted an investigation that, that was actually supported by the town mayor. Uh, they wanted to discover what made this little town so much healthier than the neighboring towns and cities. The investigators went door to door, knocking on, on each house. They, they dug through every piece of information they could get their hands on. They, they constructed family histories, performed physicals, and did EKGs. They, they sifted through death certificates and, and medical records. They left no stone unturned in their quest for the holy, holy grail of Rosita's good health. The researchers considered the diet, alcohol consumption, smoking, exercise, genetics, but that got them nowhere because the people of Rosita enjoyed stogies, sausages, loafing around just as much as the neighboring towns. They worked dangerous jobs in quarries. They cooked with lard. And they were actually more overweight than what would be expected. If anything, their diet and lifestyle should have made them have shorter lives, not longer. There was no clear biological explanation after all the research that accounted for these people living longer lives. This confused the researchers, so they began to, know, to look at the town as a whole. And it was then that they noticed that it had a unique social landscape that allowed this town to thrive. The researchers noticed that this community was exceptionally close to one another. The people were chatting in the street. Friends sat on each other's porch. The, 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 uh, the toddlers played with the grandparents. There was multi-generational families that shared their meals together. Neighbors supported one another in hard times. There was a distinct sense of belonging and trust and equality that permeated the community and that the, and that the researchers noticed. The reported crime in Rosita at, the, at that time was almost zero. The researchers believe that what enabled Rosita to have such a healthy community was its close-knit social ties. Did you catch that? The long, healthy lives of the folks of, in, that lived in Rosita 
had nothing to do with their climate, their diet, or their exercise. It was a result of a healthy community. Kelly Harding goes on to state in her book that in Okinawa and other places where people live exceptionally long lives, public health research suggests it isn't the diet but the community in which the meals occur that makes all the difference. Let me repeat that. It isn't the diet but the community in which the meals occur that makes all the difference. She finally comes to the conclusion that social relationships are a significant predictor of decreased morbidity, or meaning that not just living longer, but better. Study after study have shown that children with secure attachments or or relationships in their lives do better in life. In fact, one of the longest-running studies in history, it's called the Grant Study, uh, began uh, at the end of the Great Depression in 1938, has tracked students from Harvard into adulthood, including John F. Kennedy. During the eight eight decades of research, they've come to the conclusion that that there is one key that's consistently found that is a predictor of success, health, and a happy life, and that is good relationships. Here's the thing. This isn't some grand revelation. It's in the Bible. See, God created us for relationships. From the first page in the Bible, God tells us that we were created to enjoy a relationship with God. Genesis chapter 1, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our, our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. At the end of each day of creating the universe, God looks at his creation and says five times it is good, and on the sixth day, it is very good. But do you know what the first problem was in the Bible? Genesis 2 tells us exactly what the first problem was. Then the Lord, said, Lord God said, it is not good. There's the problem for man to be alone. So he says, I will make a helper who is just right for him. So from the very beginning, we're created to be in relationships with God and with others. Sadly, it didn't take long for these relationships to get messed up. Genesis 3. When mankind sinned and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, our relationship with God and with each other were broken. From the, but, but from the very moment mankind sinned, breaking those relationships, God put into motion a plan to restore all things. And through Jesus, the restoration of all things has begun. Galatians 4.4. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law. So that we could adopt, so he could adopt us as his very own children, so he could bring us into community, bring us into his family. Jesus came to restore our relationship with God and with others. That is why when he was asked, What is the greatest commandment? he answered, You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And he said, This is the first and greatest commandment. And then the second, is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. 
Jesus understood that if you wanted a successful, healthy, happy life, it all began and ended with good relationships. The title of the series is, What If Jesus Is Right? And it turns out that science is proving that he is. Jesus taught his disciples that their relationships with each other is what would set them apart. John 13, 35, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. One of the last things he emphasized to Peter before the ascension was that was the importance of the relationships he was intentionally, uh, in, to, uh, intentionally invest in. He says in John 21, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the, the question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Jesus reminds Peter that he is to be faithful to his community. The writer of Hebrew gives us that same reminder in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, uh, beginning at verse 23. Let's hold firmly to the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let's consider how to encourage one another in love and good deeds, not abandoning our own meeting together, as it is the habit of some people, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we have to be faithful to his community. The writer of Hebrew uses the Greek word there, epusunaguge. That's translated meeting together. It is also used in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or letter seeming to be from us, to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. The context in this letter to the church in Thessalonica is clearly eternal life. We will be gathered together in heaven. The party is going to be amazing, and the feast is going to be out of this world, pun intended. When we study the Bible, we, we are, there are three really important things, and some of you might know what they are. The first most important thing is what? Context. The second most important thing, context. I can't even almost hear the people online. And the third most important thing, context. Let's go back to that passage in Hebrews because the, as I was preparing for this message, the context jumped out to me and it brings all of this together. This passage is used a ton to guilt people into coming to a church building, making it an obligation. To, to being a Christian. And when you pluck this one sentence out, it, it really is effective as a tool of guilt. One of the most important types of context that we always need to keep in mind when we're studying the Word of God is that, it, is that of literary context. It's the sentences and paragraphs that surround the, paragra- the passage that you're studying. 
So let's do that. Let's, let's back up a few verses. Let's go to Hebrews. We're still in chapter 10. And let's go back to verse 19. And it says, So dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works, and let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. But encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. We have to remember that the Bible was written for us, but not to us. The writer here is assuming that you understand uh, this, this language about blood and curtains and sprinkled and, and the, this going into the most holy place. See, he, he's describing the tabernacle or, or the temple. The Jews understood this to be where heaven and earth overlapped. They, they believe that God is omnipresent, but that the temple would be like the hot spot of God's presence. Here is how the, the tabernacle and the temple were laid out. There was a courtyard that had an altar. Those that were offering a sacrifice could go with, uh, with the priest into the courtyard to the altar. Inside the courtyard, though, was, a, was another structure. This structure had two areas. The holy place, which had the altar of incense, the table of showbread, the lamp, and the lampstand. Only the priest could go into this area. Then there was a curtain that went from the ceiling to the floor. And behind that curtain, that was the holy of holies, the holy place. Only the high priest could go into that sacred space one day a year. So, so the writer of Hebrews is telling us that God has been faithful through Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, that curtain that separated the presence of God and limited the relationship that he could have with, uh, with humanity was torn from the top to the bottom. Our relationship with God can be restored by placing our faith in the payment of Jesus' blood. His faithfulness equips us to be full of faith. That's a good spot for a good Pentecostal shout. Now we can go right into the presence of God. That's what it says. We can now go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. Here is where the context of all this jumped out to me. So since we're in a relationship with God and we are restored with him in that relationship through Jesus, then he says, let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us therefore... Think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. The writer was not trying to guilt us into going to church. No, the writer knew the benefits of community. 
The literal translation for that word, epusunage, would be congregation of the faithful. If we're going to be faithful to Jesus, we have to be faithful to his community. Why? Because the key to a successful, healthy, happy life is good relationships. It's, it's how we motivate each other to acts of love and good works. It's how we encourage one another when the world is full of darkness and we feel like the day is drawing near. I want to make sure you catch the connection that is being made between the eternal and the present. It's a cycle. Because we trust Jesus with our eternal salvation, we look for ways to motivate and encourage those we gather with today. And because we are motivated and encouraged by one another, we can trust Jesus with our eternal salvation. The image is drawn for us in this context is that of the temple that was the hot spot of God's presence. It's easy to know where to go in the presence for the, to be in the presence of God when there's a temple marking the spot. But when Jesus died for our sins, that curtain was torn. And now, where's the hot spot of his presence? <laughs> Matthew 18 tells us that. Jesus tells us that. I also tell you this. If two of you agree here on earth concerning anything you ask, my Father in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three gather together as my followers, I am there among them. Will you pray with me? Jesus, you have been so faithful to us. We rejoice that you died for us, that, that our relationship with you can be restored when we place our faith in you. Today, we make the decision to follow after you. Equip us to be, fa to be faithful to you and faithful to your community. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.